Welcome to the Preach and Persuade podcast. My name is Sam Parada, and we are continuing in a series on leadership. And so this will be the third episode in this series. And I I labeled these these first episodes, if, you, if you've already listened to a couple of them, uh, stories of godly leadership. And so what we have done so far is we've We've uh, listened to the stories of two men, Al and Alan, uh, some older gentlemen who have been godly leaders in their life, and they've uh, demonstrated uh, throughout their years uh, good leadership both in the church, in their family, and in business. And now we're going to somewhat transition into now uh, really a story of pastoral leadership, and we're going to hear from Dan's pastor, uh, J.D. Summers and hear about how he found himself to be uh, a spiritual leader of people. And so I think this will be a great transition uh, episode, as eventually then we'll be looking at uh, really what you could say is the doctrine of leadership. What is what is leader, leadership, biblically speaking? Uh, how is a leader defined in the Bible, and what can we glean from, from biblical passages on what leadership is? So, again, I hope you enjoy this this last story of godly leadership as we interview JD Summers So this is J.D. Summers. He's my pastor, church I attend. And I met J.D., I think it was six or seven years ago now. You were visiting town thinking about planting a church. And I think 2013. 2013, probably. yeah. So gosh, it's nine Almost years. Almost ten years then. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah. yeah. So that's when I met him. And and uh, we were just at a mutual place and happened to kind of connect. And I'd been ministering in this community for 25 years. And he said he was thinking about coming and planting a church. And I was curious. And so I got together with him and just said, hey, what are you thinking? And I was pretty impressed with what I heard. I thought, you know, if somebody wants to do that, that would be a great need in this community. Actually teach the scriptures and just, you know, there are a variety of things, a heart for evangelism and a number of things. And of course he came here and I've watched him for the year, over the years. And then through a variety of things that we don't need to get in here, but, um, uh, my wife and I left the church we are part of for 25 years and, uh, found ourselves here at Redemption Hill Church in Lawrence, Kansas. And so I've watched JD as a, a younger man, uh, mid to late 30s now, um, lead this church plant. And I've been impressed with a lot of things and encouraged by a lot of things. And we've been able to have some honest conversations. And as you said last year, um, I brought him up to your place in Minnesota, yeah. Sam. For We called it a fishing trip. But part of the fishing was I was fishing. Like I wanted to spend time with him and talk more about lots right, of stuff. Right. And so we had a good eight or ten hours in the car each way, which yep. which was all part of that. So anyway, um, that's the friendship. And that's kind of how it goes. And I would love to just hear from a guy that's uh, uh, grew up in the church. His dad was a pastor of the church that planted this church. Yep. So he's been around leadership. And uh, I, I'm thinking, J.D., as we get in, I'm curious. Um, I want to hear a little of your story. But there was, there's a statement that just came to my mind. Again, this is kind of a spontaneous conversation with you and others. But um, there was a statement you said at one time, like you saw the difficulty. You saw leadership in the church. You saw the joys, but you saw difficulty and there were things maybe you were even hesitant about. I can't remember you yeah. used a statement a few times. So just make that a segue from your church sure. life as a kid watching the church, and then you became a leader in the church. So yeah. So people ask, you know, how did you end up in pastoral ministry? And when they find out my dad was a pastor, they assumed, oh, it's the family business. So you yeah. did it because your dad yeah. did that. 
And I would say, well, yeah, yes and no. I would say that I'm in pastoral ministry today um, as much despite the fact my dad's a pastor as, as because of it. And what I mean by that is um, growing up in a church planting environment, growing up um, watching my dad do mm-hmm. full-time pastoral ministry, um, especially through some hard years where there's difficulty. I saw the rewards. I saw the joy. I saw people's lives changed. I saw people saved, saw marriages you know, restored, saw a church grow, saw missionaries sent. And I was like, wow, you see that it's worth it. You see the, the fruit and the joy and, and, and some of the reaping. But I also saw behind the scenes the cost. You know, I, I saw people leave. I saw my dad deal with attacks and slander and disappointment and fatigue mm-hmm. and, you know, two different periods where he almost left the ministry just because of discouragement and burnout. And so yeah. I, I think I entered into pastoral ministry with my eyes wide open. Yeah. There, there were no um, maybe idealistic, you know, dreams about, oh, I think I want to be a pastor and I'm going to be the hero of this thing. It's like, no, I, I, I saw the, the challenges and the gritty side of it. Um, but I, I also saw that it was worth it. So I think I entered into pastoral ministry with some realistic expectations, yeah. which is God's grace to me, just to give me that. I mean, how many guys get to go into ministry um, with fairly realistic expectations? Um, yeah. So that's something that I'm just thankful for. Yeah. And so prior to coming here in 13, and when did you officially plant the church here? Then 15 or somewhere? Yeah, we there? moved here in 2014. We were meeting as a as kind of a core group, a church planting team in the fall of 2014. Um, you know, meeting on Sunday nights, talking through, yep. um, you know, touching just touching on our, our key theological commitments and what's our philosophy of ministry. Like, how are we going to do church planting? Right. Um, it wasn't a group of people that had lots of experience in church planting, so they were like, "Okay, I feel called to be part of this. I want to be invested in this, but what does that look like? How do we plant a church? Do we schedule a youth activity for next week? What's the first thing we do?" So yeah, right. we were just talking big picture: what is a church, and how do you start a church? And then we started meeting. Um, on Sunday mornings in January of 2015, I think the second weekend of January. Yeah. So if you read all the church planting guru people, they're going to tell you in the fall is the best time, and yep. we probably picked the worst time uh, if you were just to look at stats, but we we weren't, we didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't okay. how we were right. going to do things. And then prior to that, though, as, as we focus on leadership today, mm-hmm. you did have a leadership role in Countryside, yes. which was your sending yes. church, your dad had planted that church, and so how many years were you there as a leader? Um, four or five years. Yep. I was on pastoral staff there. So their whole philosophy of ministry, um, to use a baseball analogy, they would be, rather than the free agent system, where you hire people from the outside who, yep. who are proven commodities, is more of the farm system, where you yep. train and develop, get them experience, and then you deploy them and send them out. So yep. their philosophy of ministry, I wasn't the first one who was brought up through that ministry and then brought on staff full-time and then either installed as a pastor at the church long-term or, um, or sent out to do missions or church planting. So I was, um, probably fourth or fifth, you know, in that stream. Other guys have done that before me. So I was feeling called into ministry, um, was preparing for ministry, had gone off to college, uh, to do that. And, um, because I have the same last name as the founding pastor and there was four or five pastors on staff at the time. It's a plurality of elders. Um, um, so they wouldn't call them assistant pastors, they'd call them associate pastors. So functionally, um, while there's a leader among equals on paper, they all have the same measure of authority. Right. And so they were like, well, here's this guy that we see has gifts and who has a heart for ministry. We re- we've invested a lot in him. They've all invested in me in different ways. Right. I'd interned there, 
And they were like, man, we'd love to have this guy come back here rather than say, you should go off and find another church to minister in because your dad's the pastor here. So uh, they also knew that my goal long-term was not to stay there forever, that I had a heart for church planting. They had a heart for missions and church planting. So it just made sense. And they said, why don't you come on? So the other pastors actually identified that and like initiated that, communicated that to the body. My dad wasn't as involved in that. Um, So they brought me on as an associate pastor. So I was leading worship. I was overseeing small group ministries. Um, overseeing our men's ministry, um, um, a lot of different administrative stuff behind the scenes, and I was preaching um, on Sunday mornings probably eight times a year, teaching on Sunday nights, teaching in Sunday schools, yep. teaching in all these, a lot of different contexts. So doing a lot of preaching and teaching, a lot of administration, I was involved in counseling, everything that a church planter would need to do, I was doing all of those different things, just maybe not all at once. <laughs> it was right, a little right. more expanded out, but I got to serve alongside guys that were in their 40s and 50s who were older and more mature, more experienced, and be mentored by them, which is great. Sure, that's perfect. And that would have been a question I'd ask is, like, tell us how you entered into this, but you already did that. But I do have a yeah. question because you've shared the story with me. I think it's a cool story of this uh, this leader, this youth leader, mm-hmm. adult man, in as you guys were teens, and he even challenged you to step up to the plate. Absolutely. And I think that would be, even though we're already into the church planning, take us two, two three steps back when you yeah. were a teen, because it's a really cool, I think it's providentially part of leadership. Yeah, so if you look we'll, at the, we'll, the men who've been yeah. a big influence on me, um, if I were to list the top two or three, obviously my dad's in there, but the guy that was my youth pastor would be one of the others. Um, his name's Scott Nickel. So he, uh, my dad called him up in the early years of the church, had known him from before and said, hey, what, what do you think about coming down to Olathe? and working with working with youth and scott was a uh, scott was i think mowing lawns and doing other stuff he took a job as a firefighter so he was working you know doing shift work but he could study at the fire station and then yep. when when he was off for a day he would do church ministry stuff so he really was full-time at the church and full-time firefighter but he was married had children he wasn't your maybe stereotypical evangelical youth leader who's a young guy barely out of college with cool hair and mm-hmm. who's really culturally hip he was a hardworking, blue-collar man yeah. who uh, worked his way up to become a captain in the Kansas City, Missouri uh, Fire Department. So he's used to driving a massive fire truck, turning on the sirens and telling everybody else to get out of the way because he's got things to do. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah um, sure. And being in high-pressure environments where lives are at stake. Yeah. Um, so that was he was my youth leader, and he just faithfully taught the Bible. Um, he always said, this isn't an entertainment ministry. It's a discipleship ministry, and we're not replacing parents. We're trying to help them, yeah. and we're going to teach you the Bible. Um, and so he would teach systematically through Scripture. We would do discussions in our youth ministry where he, he had this stack of cards or different life situations. He'd basically pop out you know, an, an ethical you know, challenge or a life situation and say, okay, tell me what you would do in this situation. We'd discuss it as a group. And then he'd say, why? What does the Bible say? And he's forming worldview. He's forming biblical convictions, teaching us how to apply the truth of Scripture to life. Mm-hmm. Um, but he identified me and, um, one of my best friends who eventually became my brother-in-law, you know, and some other guys too. He just identified us even in junior high and said, said, you guys, I I want you guys to be leaders. You have some gifts. I see people already are following your example. And so you need to be a good steward of that step up to the plate. And he started giving us work to do. He started putting us in charge of stuff, giving us things to do, even having us, you know, share a little devotional at a youth thing. And he would coach us on that. He'd take us out to Fazoli's and just ask us about what's going on in our life. And he just expected us to be men and not little boys. And he was modeling that in his own life. And it just had a huge influence on him. And that was as a teenager. Yeah. Young young teen. Yeah. So we, you know, we'd go to some of these church camps sometimes and we'd see other youth groups and we'd see their youth leaders 
And we'd just be confused. Like, <laughs> what is that about? And then we'd look over at our youth leader. We're like, yeah, that's a man over there. Yeah, like, yeah, we were yeah. always proud that he was our youth pastor. Yeah, sure. Um, and so he's no longer doing youth ministry, uh, but he does a lot of um, pastoral care type stuff and sure. administrative stuff still at the yeah. church. So I just, I think of Providence and... Again, we'll get in it. We we have discussed some things. We'll discuss more in this whole series on leadership. But there's mm-hmm. something about, um, and, and I know it's, I guess, arguable. Is that the word? Arguable? You can argue about it. But, um, <laughs> no, no. There's something about um, God raises up leaders. I believe in providence of God. Yeah. And I could say, you could say leaders are born. Good leaders are born. But um, there's something right and true about that. But there's still a maturity and a spirit-filled reality that has to happen in a man. So he could grow up with the raw talent, the raw mm-hmm. gifts that were put there, and it could go awry, mm-hmm. which it has. We've seen it politically in the world. There's people that are leaders that turn out to be scoundrels, but they actually had some of the same raw gifts. That's what's interesting, mm-hmm. right? So he saw stuff in you yep. and then began to call you to it and challenge you in it. And, and, form- and give us opportunities. Yep, and give you opportunities, yeah. formulated your thinking, and then that led to you actually serving as a uh, associate pastor of mm-hmm. a church and eventually led to here. So. Mm-hmm. So that, that gives a kind of a context. And so married, four mm-hmm. children. Yep. Yep. Lead your family. That's cool. Yeah, I've been able to watch all this. So the questions that, we have, that we've been asking, guys, is the same sort of things, J.D., kind of in a general way. If you were to say leadership, what are these two or three, maybe it's four, key things yeah. that just jump to your mind? Like here, this, these are like non-negotiables sure things you've seen in your even i say younger life but you've Mm -hmm. been around a while now you're approaching mid midlife now and Mm -hmm. but you know what would be those principles and then eventually we'll move here to you know some strengths you've seen out there in the world where that was a really good demonstration of leadership here's something that i see as a problem yeah but Mm -hmm. but right now is this like what are some key things that you come to your mind yeah i think um the two, and I don't know which one you put first because they're connected. I mean, all these are organically kind of connected together. Um, but to me, the fear of God would be central. Yeah. Um, so if you fear God, then you care about what he cares about. You want what he wants. You want to honor him. And that automatically is um, kind of an antiseptic towards the pride that's in our own heart is an appropriate fear of God that humbles us. Um, but it also unleashes, I think, courage. Um, and things like that. So a verse that um, comes to my mind, you know, multiple times every week is in Proverbs 29, 25. It says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So I think the fear of man is something that just cripples leadership. Oh, yeah. Absolutely cripples leadership, cripples marriages, cripples ministry. Um, so fearing God, first and foremost, to me, there's there's times where I've been forced to lead in ways that I didn't want to, ways that weren't comfortable, weren't easy. Um, that I didn't want to do, but I didn't feel like I had a choice. It's like, this is the right thing to do before God. And yeah. I answered him. Yeah. And that's the thing that pushes me over the hump to do things that, you know, the kind of things that you really don't want to have to handle. Right. Um, difficult situations. Right. So I think the fear of that's God is, is so central and kind of flowing from that is, is um, really an idea of purpose and mission that if I exist to glorify God and that his mission is the one I'm serving, that informs everything I do. Um, so John the Baptist says, you know, he must increase, I must decrease. Yeah. John knew his place. He's yeah. like, I know my job. My job's to preach this message and point people to this Jesus over here. Yeah. And he embraced it. And he was totally in line with that. And if that meant him rolling off the scene, he's happy to do it. If it meant him, you know, doing whatever, like he, he was, he was good with it. So I think yeah. for me, understanding, you know, understanding what the mission of the church is 
then as a leader in the church, understanding it's my job to communicate that and, and to, um, to hold that up in front of people and call them to it and say, hey, everybody, this is what God is doing in the world. This is how he calls us to participate in that. This is what it should look like, and this is what I'm doing. I would love for you to come with me. Would you join in this? And here's the part you have to play. I think that's leadership is saying, here's what matters. Here's how we're going to do it. And I'm already going this way. I would love for you to join with me and follow me as we do this. Yeah. If you don't, we're going to do it anyway. You know, it's yeah. that kind of a directional leadership. So as I think about the fear of God and understanding of what our mission actually is, yeah. and those, those are theologically informed um, yeah. realities. I love that, JD, because you're saying something very, um, it's interesting. Okay, so when you talk about leadership, as we could talk about, in a sense, you could say, I don't believe in like two different worlds, but there's this church leadership for mm-hmm. the Christian, spirit-filled man, and then there's leadership in the world. And a lot of times, a lot of those principles technically could overlap, yeah. but, the, but yet there's some differences, some important differences, right? And so um, Sam was telling me some of his studies recently, um, just, just statistics about, say, leaders, leaders of big corporations or whatever. They, they tend to have a disagreeableness to their nature, and what that lends itself to is to be less influenced by a fear of people. Because mm-hmm. they just know what they need to do. Yeah. Now that motivation may be just an ornery disagreeableness, right? right. It could be but, the flesh. Yeah, it could right. be the flesh. That's my point. Yeah. But but it plays itself out in a similar way. But for the Christian, we really are moved by something else. It's not just a, a lack, a not. It's not just no fear of man, because we all, to some underlying level, because of the Adam in us, we all have a fear. Mm-hmm. But it's it's something that's even higher. It's it's a fear of God. Right. That puts everything in its proper place. Exactly. So it's, so it's not even just a characteristic of, well, I'm disagreeable and I don't care what people think. Yeah. You've heard people say, well, I really don't care what people think. And some people say that. But that's that can not, be real, that's not really, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, it can be pride. But in another sense, we are saying, you are saying, but if I fear God, it puts everything else in its proper place and I can't let the fear of man overcome that. What you fear controls you. Yep. Right. You obey there what is. you fear. Yeah. And that's why the fear of man is a snare, like it's a trap. Right. It, it gets a hold of you and you're stuck yeah. and it limits your freedom. It limits what you can do, limits yeah. your usefulness. Um, but if you trust the Lord, which is the same as fearing the Lord, yeah. Yeah. then you're safe and you're also free. Yeah, I like like it just, it just, you're uninhibited. You're yeah. able to do what you need to do. So I, I would say in, in a church context, if I'm looking for you know, someone who's a potential elder, pastor, I'm not necessarily looking for disagreeableness. Right. Um, that'd That's be something point. I want to see worked out of someone. I want to yeah, see, yeah. do you agree with Christ? Right. It's actually agreeableness towards the right, right. Uh, person, right. a divine person, right. you know, the, the supreme son of God. Right. If you are fully committed to him, then you're willing to disagree with other people if they're crossing you know, the will of, of the Lord mm-hmm. or saying something that's, that's contrary to what he says. Well, then it's not that I'm disagreeable with you. It's that you're out of line in terms of what God says. So I'm just the messenger. Yeah, and really, that's great. That, that's the, the I like that I take. I like that. That's good. I just thought again, you said that, Sam. You yeah, were studying that. It was just an intriguing kind of statistic that these yeah. leaders have been le- able to lead these big things. One of the characteristics is disagreeableness, and it yeah. struck me. I thought that's interesting. Yeah, and I, I think I want to, as I look at potential leaders in our church, it's not disagreeableness per se, but a willingness to disagree, right. a willingness to. Right rebuke a willingness yeah. to right. yep. hold the line and yep. draw and draw lines and things yeah. like that you have to be willing to do that you have to have to do that and that's yeah. the hard thing and nobody likes it yeah you, and, then, you and, say, and then and then well I'm oh, sorry, I, guess, I guess you could say you have to be willing to offend someone yeah mm-hmm. and and there's a, a a fair way to do that right there's godly yeah. ways to kind of approach that god tells us to it doesn't mean you come in just off with your head that's right. not the point 
That's yeah, and I, I don't find any joy or satisfaction in disagreeing with people. Right. I don't. Right. I don't get point. any. Right. I don't get any kicks out of rebuking someone, correcting someone. Yep. Telling someone no, like no there's a people pleasing bone in all of our bodies. That's right? what I'm degree. getting at. That's what I meant by the yeah. seed of Adam. It's sort of in all of us. Yeah. But I do get joy in knowing I'm doing what the Lord wants me to do, and right. He's yeah. smiling upon this. That's worth it. That's the thing, and that's yeah. that's what carries you through. Yeah. It has, sure. it has to. That's what carries you through in it. That's great. That's a great point. And yeah. Okay, so you said fear of fear of God, mm-hmm. and you said what did you say alongside? Did you say the second one? Yeah, like an understanding of like what our mission, mission and our oh, purpose yeah, yep, is, yep. Um, which is all for me theologically informed. Yep, yep. Um, absolutely. So there's conviction. So there. you could say vision, but it's not just a uh, necessarily. Well, it's a, whose vision? Yeah, who's that's right. what I say. So, it's not a subjective, intuitive. Hey, I have this vision. Not that that's always wrong either, but it's it's really informed. It's an informed vision. It's a godly vision informed by God. Mm-hmm. And then you want to apply it in a specific context, specific community of people, specific place, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Right, because you're, great. the leader's bringing people to a to a destination, to a goal. Sure. And if so you don't... Yeah, and, and something we've said a lot at this church over the years is there's a lot of good things we can do, yep. but there's a few essential things we must do. Yep. So that's what we're going to focus on, and then we'll work out from there. Right. So I've, we have to know from Scripture what are the things we must do. Yep. So missiology, ecclesiology, like all those things coming together, yeah. what are the things we have to do, we have to be, to be a faithful church? There's a lot of good things you could yeah. also do, yeah. good things Christians do. We love our neighbors, and there's lots of good works, and there's all these things, but I want to have a laser focus on the things we must do. Yeah. Because if we're doing a lot of good things we could do and neglecting the things we must do, yeah. we're missing it. And so that I feel responsible for that as a leader, to articulate that, clarify that, put that in front of people. Yeah, and that goes to something that I've seen demonstrated here in the few years I've been here. And it, fortunately, it doesn't have to be demonstrated often, even though behind the scenes I'm sure it's going on. It's just church discipline. Mm-hmm. Like nobody really, none of us want that. Right, right. Nobody, I don't want to spank, you know, I, I didn't want to spank my kids. I mean, I don't enjoy that. Mm-hmm. But you have to. You have to for yeah. the sake of something much higher, right? Exactly. And we've seen that here, and we've seen some glorious stories mm-hmm. of redemption in people's lives. I mean, people who had to undergo, you know, some difficult things, and they're still here, and they're growing, and they're mm-hmm. it's just amazing, right? Yeah. But that has to do that same thing, right? Fear of people, fear of God, fear of man. Well, and what does Christ call us to do? Yep. And we don't have an option to do something different. Right. This is just the right thing to do. Right. Great. That's good. Mm-hmm. So as we talk about that, of course, you're in a whole circle of a bunch of guys that have been in the middle of this health, political upheaval for the last few years. Here we are in 2022. We're on the, hopefully, the tail end of some of this, but there's a whole lot more, lot more probably coming, right? But uh, a number of those churches have really grown. And I mean, even some conversion too, there's no question. But there's also, there was a scattering of people during this political health upheaval in the last few years. Yeah. And they were trying to find places that were just, for the most part, like preaching the word, really, right? And so I'm just saying, as you uh, assess that out there, what would be some things that you've seen in leadership that, like, those are the things we need to be setting our sights on, in addition to these strengths, maybe, something you've seen. And then, of course, then we'll turn it around and say, what's some weaknesses, areas that we, yeah. can, all, we can all fall? We're not picking on anybody in particular, but, but there are, fear of man would be perfect. There's a lot of people that are just, they're so afraid of conflict. Mm-hmm. They will do everything to avoid conflict at uh, with consequence because mm-hmm. of it, right? Mm-hmm. So so what's some thing, observations you've seen out there? Yeah, so I, I'd probably put that in two categories. I think we've seen 
like you said, an amazing convergence of all these different cultural issues and moments and things that you can't escape it. It's not just something out there that certain few interested people are paying right. attention to. It's, it's in all of our laps and that would be social justice. Um, and then there would be COVID-19. So yeah. those two specific challenges to the church, churches don't have an option to be neutral on that. We're being forced to make decisions. Are you going to have church Sunday or not? Um, yep. and then there's things happening within our congregations. What should we think about black lives matters or, right. or, or other, other issues going on? Are you going to speak to this major event that just happened on a Tuesday night, you know, yeah. um, because it, it's, it's in all of our faces and we're being forced to, to react and respond and it's in our workplaces, it's in our schools. And so you really don't have the option just to be this sort of refuge from all of those issues where we can just focus on other things. It's, it's been forced into us. So, um, I think as a pastor, that's not something that I, I want to spend all my ministry energies dealing with all of that stuff. And so um, we have spoken to those issues, mm-hmm. um, but for this reason, I really, so we, I did a little bit of teaching um, after George Floyd um, incident happened, um, just because I felt like, okay, one of my roles, my calling is to preach the truth, to shepherd people, feed the flock, because we're trying to make disciples. Right. We want them to understand and believe the truth, want their minds to be shaped by the truth so that they live in light of the truth. And if I don't disciple our people, if I'm not speaking to this, there's all these other voices that are trying to disciple the people in our church. Yep. So I don't want them to be discipled by CNN or Twitter or Fox News or whoever. Like, or some other evangelical system that you're not sure. totally in. Some denominational singular. spokesperson, yeah, some whatever. evangelical yep. celebrity pastor. It's right. like... I. I feel responsible to speak into this, right. um, to not tell people what to do, but to try to help them think biblically. So I did just some very brief teaching on that, and this was right after um, everything shut down. So we weren't even able to meet as a church. So we put a couple brief YouTube videos out just because that was the easiest way to get the information out to people. And just did a little bit of teaching on how should how does the Bible define racism? Yep. Because that word is being changed. Yep. So biblically, how should we think about? the sin of racism, biblically defined. Um, what's the answer to that biblically? What's the actual solution for the a biblically defined problem of racism? And what about this whole idea of corporate responsibility, corporate repentance? Is that something that's biblical? Because there's a lot of competing voices saying different things on those issues. So um, people in our church were very receptive to that and seemed to benefit from that. And then that became something that a lot of people outside our church uh, stumbled across when they were looking into our church, they would see that or, or they would hear about it from a friend. And so yeah. it was something that I actually didn't even want to put out publicly. I was like, Hey, maybe we should just put this as a little private video. We share with people in our church and Carrie Wilson, who was a deacon at the time, he goes, well, JD, do you believe that this is biblical truth? I said, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And he goes, well, then why would you want to limit the, um, the exposure people could have to that? If that would be something God wants to use, why don't you be open to that? I said, you're right. Okay, let's put it out there. So <laughs> I wasn't necessarily trying to like, you know, spread this and be some spokesman in our community. It was more so I'm trying to teach the people of our church. And that did happen to sort of um, bless others as well. And that just however God wants to use it is fine. So I, I do think just we need to take responsibility as pastors. Yes, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a sociologist. I'm not an epidemiologist. I don't have to be. I'm, I'm supposed to teach the word. Yeah. And the word applies to all of life. Right. So when there's things being said out there that are defining things that Scripture talks to, well, now it's in my ballpark because yeah. this is something Scripture speaks to. So this idea of repentance and responsibility yep. 
is something scripture speaks to. So it's fair game. Um, I'm not out of my lane to talk about these things and help our people think bil- right. biblically. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was a little bit of the social justice stuff. And then um, even part of, and this is maybe a little bit of stubbornness, I do have a contrarian streak in me. Part of, I think, our efforts of resistance towards all the stuff going along, going out there in the world is to be stubborn enough to actually not talk about it every week. Because I feel like there's maybe a couple extremes. Either people don't won't touch it with a 10-foot pole, they stay away from all those issues, mm-hmm. or they're talking about it every week, either either championing the world's talking points or trying to fight against the world's talking points. But sometimes right. people get worn out on that. It's like, you know what? You The world is not going to tell us what our focus should be in terms of what we talk right. about. Like, they don't get to set the agenda. So that's a little bit of my stubbornness yeah. is that... You know, when COVID happened, we took one sermon, and this was right before everything shut down, preached from Psalm 46, said, hey, we don't know what this is. Here's what it could be. We don't know. But here's what we know is true, Right. that God is our refuge and strength. So even if the earth gives way and the mountains fall in the sea, we don't need to be afraid. So preached one message, and then we jumped right back into expository preaching, going yeah. through Amen. the book that we were doing. <laughs> um, when all the, the George Floyd stuff happened, we did some teaching outside of Sunday morning yep. in those videos, but we didn't even address it in our it's in terms of dedicating an entire Sunday morning sermon. Yeah, we never it. I never heard much about it at all. And I've taught on racism and, and issues like that um, in the context of expository preaching. So yeah. preaching through Colossians and it talks about slaves and masters. Yeah. And so there's an opportunity to talk about things. Preaching through James, he talks about partiality. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the sin of partiality. Yeah. Um, so we talk on those things when they come up in the text, we don't, don't avoid them, but I think that's one thing our people appreciated is because they're being inundated with stuff about COVID and social justice and all of this constantly in the world and to gather together on Sunday and say, okay, here's what the Bible says. Now it's done and we can keep moving on. That was refreshing for a lot of people. Yeah. So again, I was saying, as you look out there, do you see some of those same kind of efforts? Uh, let's just say this, you're in a, you're a pretty significant fellowship of some Mm -hmm. you know i don't know 15 or 20 guys yeah churches similar would you say that for the majority as you look out there you go yeah they led their churches in a similar way i think so we all we all did things a little differently right i went to a men's conference in the in this february or march i was on a talking with some other pastors and some of them wouldn't sign um um like a COVID exemption like a religious exemption letter um, and some of us would, and we were just discussing why we would or wouldn't, and they all had their reasons. So we didn't even all do everything the same way. Yeah. But what all of those guys did, and, and here's what I appreciated, as far as the COVID stuff, yeah. all of them recognized that we need to value spiritual health over physical health. Right. At the end of the day, our spiritual health is more significant. And that's, for us, why we started meeting as quickly as we could yeah. once you know we got access to facilities again. Um, it's because we really felt like there may be some physical risks to our physical health. But the, the risk to our spiritual health of not gathering together, not doing what Christ calls us to do, is so much more dangerous. We think um, it honors God to act in faith yeah. on this right. and just so, get together. So tie, so tie that. We're talking about these incidents and these guys. Again, sort of my larger question is mm-hmm. you look out there and see these guys. What would be something, leadership, we're talking right. leadership here, that you say, oh, that's what, even though you may come to some different conclusions, yeah. what is the principles of leadership that you saw? Sure. Those are good. We need to be shooting for those. Well, I think one of them was fear of God. So yeah, sure. even one of the churches that yeah. did some things differently than we would, you know, they're on the Missouri side in a different county, Jackson County, which is really, really strict, worse than Douglas County even, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, 
but really their goal in all of it wasn't just to make their constituents happy in their church. You know, because, and this is what something that I think exposed the fear of man in a lot of pastors was in a situation like this, no matter what you do, you're going to make some people angry. Yeah. You can't please everybody. Right. Um, and you, and there might even be risk in terms of what's going on, you know, from a legal authority standpoint. Sure. Um, but those guys really were trying to do the right thing that they thought honored God. Right. And they were willing to even disappoint key people in their church to do it. Yeah. And so I respect that. I appreciate yeah, sure. that. Right. So I think that's a key thing. Um, and also just seeing that those guys had, I think, an understanding that their ecclesiology carried them through. They knew the church is not just a social club, that it's not just a Sunday event. They recognize that there is a spiritual reality to what the church is mm-hmm. as the body of Christ and the way it functions and the place it has in the life of a believer is essential. Yeah. And they all valued that, not just because it was their job, because they're a pastor and it's you know job security. Not that. They actually had biblical convictions about what the church is, what it's to be, that informed how they walked through the challenges with COVID. And, you know, some of them were renting buildings, some of them owned owned their own buildings. You know, some of us are in Kansas, some are in Missouri. So it's all, the contexts are all different. Some of their congregations are elderly, some are all young people, some are a mix. So we all have different contexts. So I, I want to be gracious towards others who did it differently than we would. Sure, right. Yeah, um, yep. that's fair. Yeah. You know, I like that. I like that. I've seen that. I've had friends that I might have infected some recently I, I talked to and like, they may have dealt with a situation. We were in some difficult situations the last few years, and they may have dealt with it differently. And I actually thought, I don't think you made that move right, like on a chessboard, I would say. Mm-hmm. I, I think the move need to be make different. But I knew that they made it with a certain conviction mm-hmm. that I actually appreciated. I'm like, I appreciate the fact that I, I know why you made the move. I still think it was the wrong move, but I can live with that because I know that you did it out of principle. Yep. You, yeah. were, you went out of conviction and leaning, and I, I can live with that. Mm-hmm. You can follow a guy like that. Right, right. You say, okay. I, can. I, I think that's a key aspect to leadership is a leader is a guy that can like take in all this information that's going on. And he can he can shuffle it around and prioritize it. Yep. And, and okay, all this stuff, COVID's new, all this stuff is new, but the leader can kind of sift through and go, but here's here's the things that we need to focus on. And he can, he, he can kind of get the sheep around that and go, nope, this is the goal though. This is what we got to do. Yep. Spiritual stuff is more important than the physical stuff. Yeah, we might die. Like mm-hmm. every time you get in your car and you drive to church, you're actually risking your life. <laughs> like the yeah, stats yeah, are, yeah. there's stats on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good. And, uh, and the leader can kind of get through that and go, here's, here's the vision. Here's the goal. Here's the mission. And, and yeah, make those decisions. And sure. Hopefully model it then too. That's good. So then taking that step further and it probably falls in the same category. I'm not saying you're beating the same drum as you're not, but, but in the sense of it may flow the same way. So what would you see JD, when you look out in the world, obviously we have a lot of Failure in leadership. That's part of the reason Sam and I are talking about this, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, a guy like you is leading a church organization. Sam and I have been involved in different types of leadership. I've never led a huge organization. I mean, I've got a new responsibility now as the director of the ministry I'm part of. But um, I've led men all my life, and I've been involved in, you know, conferences and teaching, lots of different things. But um, part of the reason we wanted to have this discussion, I think you had said, Sam, yeah. you need maybe you need to say more about that too, but like, just there seems to be a, a lot of failure of leadership in our world, mm-hmm. all around us. It's probably always been this way. You look biblically. We talked. We've talked in other settings about this. So, as you look out there, what's some key things that you're saying? I'm seeing this this failure for for guys. It seems to be like the nemesis, if you will, yeah. or the you know, you know what I'm saying, the flying the 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 yeah. issue, the difficult issue. I think it's almost always self in some way or another. I mean, how that exactly expresses itself can be different. But I think when guys 
um, have the wrong priorities, you know, growth at all costs or comfort at all costs Mm -hmm. or approval at all costs, you know, all of those are really self-centered. Um, so I think about what the apostle Paul said, you know, I will therefore most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Um, there's a, there's a sacrificial nature to leadership that says, I, I want the glory of God and the good of these people, even if it costs me. So this isn't mm. self-advancement. This isn't my career. This isn't my brand. I hate that word yeah. in the ministry context. <laughs> um, like I am here to be poured out. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, some pastors talk about how hard pastoral ministry is it's like, well, yeah, if you're doing it right, it should be right. If it's not hard, I don't think you're doing it right. Like right. there's supposed to be a cost. Um, and we need to be wise and not, you know, burn out too soon, but there should be a, um, you know, one author I read talked about a sustainable sacrifice, um, mm. talked about, you know, if a, if a fireman runs into a burning building trying to be the hero and passes out cause he burned up all his oxygen, well, then his buddies have to go save his life and drag him out <laughs> instead of putting the fire out. Mm. So we don't, you, you don't want to do that as a mm. pastor and, and be foolish and reckless and never rest, never prioritize your family. Like I get that. Um, but going into the burning building, like you want to conserve your oxygen, but that's so that you can get work done. Yeah. And it's dangerous to go into a burning building. So we want to, we want to be able to have this sort of sustainable sacrifice as, as pastors. So what am I sacrificing for? Is it for the furtherance of my career? Is it for the sake of my brand and my reputation? Is it so that people will love me and appreciate me and I'll feel needed and therefore fulfilled? No. It's for the glory of God and, and their good. Yeah. And that's really it. So I think how do guys go wrong is when, when that whole formula gets tweaked when it becomes off and it's all of a sudden about my reputation my legacy um, my brand my success or my comfort preserving something Mm. Um, it's like no it's supposed to be a sustainable sacrifice Um, I want to do this till I'm old and gray and if God lets me um, and just keep doing the same normal labors over and over and over again yes that's I think the right way to do it Um, yeah, I think guys get off when it's when it's self-advancement or self-preservation, and self is the key keyword there. Yeah. And then you know when you feed the self, when you care for the self, um, you know pleasure, sexual temptation becomes a major danger, or financial you know gain yeah. becomes a major temptation. Yeah. So all these other things become become really big deal. My dad tells a story, and I've heard him tell it before, so it's popping into my mind. Sure. But yeah. he said when he first became a pastor, he's a first-generation Christian. His parents weren't believers um, at the time when he got saved. But he had uh, a grandparent who had been in pastoral ministry. And his grandma told him, she said, Mike, uh, keep your hands off the money, keep your hands off the women. That's like, that's what she told him when he became a pastor. And he said, you know, she was, she, that was really good. It was helpful. He said, I think I'd even go further. Keep your heart off the money. Keep your heart off the women. Mm-hmm. You know, because he's recognizing it goes deeper. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It goes deeper than that. It's what is my, what is, what are my desires? Yeah. So if my desire, Paul says, I will gladly spend and be spent for their souls. So his desire is actually to, to serve and to minister in that way. And he does it by leading. Um, by teaching with authority, by establishing elders, by correcting false teachers, mm-hmm. by laboring, you know, with people day and night over meals, and he's teaching them the gospel. Um, but he's pouring himself out. So I, I think that's really a, a wonderful model. Yeah, that's good. That's but really I think good. guys, you're talking about, you know, how do guys fail? How do they fall off? I think yeah. it starts in the heart. Everything starts yeah. in the heart. So when the heart gets a little bit off, when there's, right. it's going the wrong direction, desiring the wrong things, resting in the wrong things, hmm. um, yeah. that's going to lead to all these behaviors that are, Yep. They're problematic. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, that's, that's great. really good. Switching gears a little bit. Um, 
not talking about the moral character things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a leader is a, we, you could even think in the secular society too. Like in some weird way, we could say that uh, this is like extreme. Hitler was a good leader. Like in some, he's an effective leader, effective leader. There yeah. we go. Yeah. yeah. Good would be the wrong word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he mobilized people. Yep. And they followed yeah. him and they, and they, and they took it hook, line and sinker. Um, so what is it about a guy? And again, cause we put Hitler in that camp, but just for, you know, sake of example, but what is it about a person where people want to follow this guy? And yeah. what does he have that another doesn't have? And it's not a moral thing. Like this could be a really godly guy, but let's say he's a deacon. Mm-hmm. This is a really godly guy. Both need to be godly, but he's an elder. So what 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 are the differences? And because again, God raises sure. leaders up. What does he what does he give this guy? Natural ability, spiritual gifts. What yep. does he have that? Well, there's there's one um, capability. Yeah, that's in that listing. And right. so all the the morals are essential. You can't leave those out. Right. The one gifting is able to teach. Right. So what what does that mean? Does that just mean he can? He's got a good collection of commentaries and is faithful to research them and tell everybody what he read. Like that's not really effective teaching. So yeah. to be able to teach, there's there's a transferal of right. ideas. So even your kind of like extreme example yeah. of Adolf Hitler as an effective leader, right? Well, it wasn't just him and his personality that people were drawn to. There was an ideology that yeah. he was promoting, and and it was a lie. It was deceit. It was deceptive. Right. right. But ideas are powerful. Right. Our ideas are very, very powerful. And that ideology swept that nation. And and he was championing that. And uh, my brother-in-law, I heard him say this about leadership. He said, if you want your people to bleed it, you have to hemorrhage it. Mm. So he's banging the drum all the time, driving these ideas home. So I think that an effective leader, for me, the difference between some of the faithful deacons we have in this church and then someone else who maybe you know is, is becoming a pastor, an elder, is they're able to communicate convictions and truths and ideas that actually mobilize and, and, and change people. Yeah. There, there's a persuasiveness that's there. There's an ability to articulate it with authority. Yep. There's an ability to make difficult things clear. Yep. There's an ability to, to make the, the, the call to action to say, here's this idea, and, and here's what it means you should do right. in light of that idea. I think that's where you see the, the ability to teach a really effective teaching ministry is leadership. And that's yeah. why we wouldn't have women teach right. in our church. It's not just because Paul says women should not teach, but why does Paul say women should not teach? Well, that is exercising authority. Yeah. That is leadership yeah. because you're calling people to action. Um, so our ladies would teach our ladies and they would yeah. teach our children, but they're not going to teach men because that effectively, even if we say, oh, she's not a pastor. Well, she's preaching, she's leading our church. Yeah. So yeah, I think, I think that communication of truth in a persuasive and authoritative manner Yep. Um, is what's in the gifting. So that can be that can be the captain on the football team yep. who gets the guys together at halftime, he and he says, speech. we're not tackling. Yeah. And everybody there knows how to tackle. They've been taught how to tackle. But he's going to say something that brings the right yep. truth in front of all of them yeah. and then also motivates them. Say, if we're going to win, you have to make a tackle. Mm. And so he's calling them to action. Like, that's leadership. Mm. And then taking responsibility for what happens. I think that's the other other piece, but... So yeah, that can happen in the football team. That can happen in a, in a business setting. Yep. And it happens in the church. Yep. Um, to be able to communicate with clarity and authority in a way that's persuasive and convincing. And the wonderful thing in the church is that that authority doesn't have to come from me. That authority comes from the Word of God. So well, exactly. as we teach God's Word, it is authoritative. If you yeah. teach God's Word in a non-authoritative way, 
you're a bad teacher. If you teach it in a non-persuasive <laughs> yeah. way, you're a bad teacher. But you know, there's, some, there's something in that, though. I like what you're saying, J.D., because there's something about, there's two or three thoughts I have going through my mind right now. One is, um, you know, even heresy, uh, ideas, ideologies are embodied. Yeah. The way God made the world, mm -hmm. right? Like, like, they just don't float around out there. They're embodied. So whether it's truth or, or non-truth. The other one I was thinking about, it's a little, one of these little quippy things, like you said, you know, if you want people to bleed, you have to hemorrhage. Mm -hmm. Here's another one that I've thought many years. Some men um, have to say something, but some men have something to say. Yeah, one of those little... It's just a little bit of... Think about quips. it. Yeah. It's, it's something. So that ability to teach that you're equating to and you're tying it with leadership mm -hmm. is the ability to lead people in this sort of thing, like living it out, like moving it, not just giving them an action point, go do this, but like you embody it, you live it, and there's something in that that motivates the other people to follow through and do that. That's mm -hmm. leadership because you're moving yeah. somebody to do something, right? Well, I think we see that in the life. I mean, we, we talk about the Apostle Paul because he's one of the more prolific authors yeah. in the New Testament, but um, he wasn't just preaching something that he knew about. That's what I mean. I mean it's his life. So yeah. to live is Christ. Yep. So his message is Christ and his, him crucified. Yeah. Also, to live is Christ. He says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. So Paul's message and his person, like he was swallowed up into it. Like yeah. you're saying, it's embodied. And people can see it. And that's why he can say to the Corinthians, imitate me because I imitate Christ. Yeah. Like, whoa. Perfect, right? Yeah. Perfect. But yeah, it's, so that's what I mean by embodied. Like it, ble it, it bleeds. Now, in a modern way, or postmodern way, our current contemporary way, maybe that's a better word, people talk about passion. And that always makes me nervous because you could have bad passion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but in a sense, that's what we're saying. This guy bleeds this stuff. And you can have manufactured passion. You There's know, yeah. guys who can turn it on because they yes. have a theatrical ability to do yeah, that. Yeah, same idea. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But no, you're looking for something authentic. Mm -hmm. Like this person really believes. I, I remember hearing another one of these little statements was, I think it was Benjamin Franklin. You know, um, he was known as a deist. We're not discussing that today, but but he would go listen to George Whitfield. Yeah. And do you ever hear that statement? Like, why yeah. are you going to listen to him? You don't believe it anyway. He says, yeah, but he does. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and it's I think, like, I see something in him. He actually believes this. Yeah. And that's actually the, the hidden kind of grace and benefit of adversity and conflict and suffering for a leader. Yeah. Is you see what they actually are about. Yeah. Oh, right, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, we, we brought that up in one of our other discussions. A man, I always, it's one of these, another one of these little statements, you know, a man may or not, may not live what he professes, but he'll always live what he believes. Yep. So you know what a man believes, not by what he says, but how he lives. Mm -hmm. Like you watch it and you see that come out and you go, no, that's really in there. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, that's one of those mantras I beat all the time. It's like, no, I want to, I sort of want to see a guy actually live this and, and I want to see it in his life. And then I go, okay, I, I sign me up. Let's go. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, in Al Mohler's book, The Conviction to Lead. Yeah. He says, leader needs, well, he named it, he named the book that needs to have conviction, deep mm -hmm. convictions. Yeah. And out of those convictions come the passion. Nobody mm -hmm. wants to follow a guy that just doesn't have any passion. Like, right. what's right. this? This is boring. What is this? Um, and, but you can have manufacturing. It's like, well, if you don't care, why should I care? Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, just obviously That's doesn't. Good. So, so coming back to my original question, or no, you kind of switch switch gears. Well, I just was just gonna say, like, yeah, yeah uh, in my mind, a, a leader does. Someone wants to follow somebody who's passionate. Yeah. But that passion, like you said, can be manufactured. But it, true leadership right. has passion, or a right. true leader has passion that comes from true conviction. Right. And I think the other thing, maybe you're bringing up too, Sam. That again is going to come in other podcasts, and maybe. It, uh, we're just touching on it here is that 
God raises up a leader. And we're not saying one person is more godly than another necessarily. And we're not saying right. one person is more important because that's one of the things you yeah. see in this church system. You have some guy who says, oh, I want to be a leader. So then they put him in a Bible college or a seminary. And then now he's a leader. Nope. But if you put him in any other area of life, nobody follows him. I've seen it time and time again. And I mean, it could be a real good guy, really talented in a lot of stuff. But I go, but I don't see people following. Goes mm-hmm. goes back to that my seminary days with the president of the seminary. You know, uh, a leader with no followers is only out for a walk. It's kind of like, yeah, that's so. Yeah, it has to be embodied and living it out. And people are. You said it earlier when you started. Like, I'm going there. I want you to follow. I'm going to try to do everything I can to get you there persuasively, coaxing you, whatever that is, right? Um, if you decide not to, you don't. I'm still going there, right? So that's rich. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that's one of the things I, I look for with guys in our church. If we're evaluating somebody to be a potential elder or a pastor or something like that, um, yeah, there's character yep. that we're looking at. I want to see, is he effective as a teacher? Yep. But even just in terms of like leadership, just more broadly, I want to see who are the people over the last two or three years that are in his wake? Yep. Who are the people that are different because they spent time with this guy? Mm. Who are the people whose lives have been impacted? Because if he's had zero impact, he's not just going to automatically start having impact if we give him a title. Yep. Right. And that's what happens. That's yeah. how a lot of the systems work. And, and I think that's something for me that was so instilled just in, in the, the church context I grew up in is... They're looking for people who are already doing ministry. Like when when they yeah. you know, present different people to say, hey, we, we want to bring this guy on as a pastoral resident. We want to bring this guy on as a pastor. We want to bring this guy on as, as a um, you know a, a, an associate pastor who's going to be a missionary. Everybody should go, yeah, it's about time because this guy's been acting like one for a while. It just makes right. sense. Right. Nobody's mm-hmm. going to go, oh, really? I never would have thought they would, yeah. you know, they, 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 it should make sense. And that's the beauty of, again, the, there's strengths and weaknesses to every kind of model. The strength of that system of leadership development is that it's observable. You're not bringing in a guy who can preach two or three really good sermons, but you don't know him. You've not seen him, right. um, you know, on a bad day. <laughs> You've not seen him have to deal with conflict. You've not been able to observe his marriage over a period of time. Yeah. You've not seen his discipleship ministry. Well, when you're able to observe that over time in the church, you get a real good idea of what someone actually is, yeah. um, which can be really helpful. And there's disadvantages too, but that's one of the strengths that I, I really benefited from. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the Preach and Persuade podcast. Uh, keep your eye out for additional episodes to be released in this series on biblical leadership as Dan and I start to dig more into what the Bible has to say about leadership and even looking at some examples of godly leaders in the Bible. Uh, if you are at all helped or uh, enjoy the content that I produce at the Preacher Persuade podcast, you are more than welcome to give a donation. Uh, Dan and I both work with a ministry called Ambassadors for Christ International, so in the show notes I have a link to Ambassadors for Christ's giving page. Otherwise, I encourage you to also leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app that you use to listen to this podcast. It'll help with discoverability. Once again, thanks for tuning in. Thank you.